All right, so uh, we are going to just pick up here at the end of um, Exodus 13. There's a couple things I want to just touch on a little bit here at the end of Exodus 13 that stuck out to me. I was going to start right with uh, Exodus 14 today and kind of get into the crossing of the Red Sea, but there was just a couple couple things that caught my attention as I was reading over it. <clears throat> Again, thought that uh, thought that I'd mention. Kind of got uh, stuck thinking about verse 17 and uh, and then verse 21. I guess it's kind of tied together. But uh, let me let me pull it up here and read Exodus 13:17. Um, then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Um, And then down in 21, I'll just read this one now too. He says, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and by night. Well, um, as I was reading that again, I just it, what what started coming into view again for for me is just um, that this is the beginning of Israel's journey, and and that's significant. Um, as as we we've probably already talked about this to, to varying degrees, um, but Israel's journey. Is in 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 many ways a a parallel uh, of our own, is a picture of our own, and in in good ways and in bad ways. I mean, I mean at least in from what God's trying to do and what Israel is refusing. You, you can see both. You can see the good and the bad. I guess you you could say it that way with uh, with Israel's journey. Um, you see God uh bringing them along a, a very specific way and that word way is is really important and you see you see Israel not wanting to go in the way not follow him in the way and not go where that way leads and um <clears throat> and i just feel like um i feel like both not not i mean in this story as well, but specifically as as believers, so much of the time we don't understand the nature of our journey, the nature of what what is what what is the the journey of the Christian soul consist of? What is the um, what is the goal, and what is the means to reach that goal? I feel like there's I feel like there's so many different ideas about that. Um, in the body of Christ, it just you just go to a Christian bookstore, if if you're able to do that. Uh, sometimes I find that kind of difficult myself, but um, and and you you look uh, on the shelves, and there's it, it's as though God has 
500 different goals and and purposes and 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 there's 5000 different ways to get to these 500 different goals i mean in one book it's it's one thing in another book you know in one book it's it's better behavior that's the goal here's how to get there in another book it's still better behavior but here's how to get there in another book it's how to know the bible better and and here's the things you need to know and another it's how to do service you know or mission work or whatever and then another it's no no it's all about spiritual disciplines another one no it's about anointing and power and ministry and, and you just you know you, you go right down you know the alphabetical list and it's just everyone's got a different idea and and for as many ideas there there are there there's a hundred uh ways to to achieve that idea and um and i just feel like the the scripture is so consistent if you have eyes to see it a little bit, the scripture is incredibly consistent about what God wants, what God's after, what his what his desire is, and it's also incredibly, incredibly consistent about the way, the way to get to um, what God is, what, what, where God is bringing us, and 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 what it means to to move in that direction, and. Um, you know, if, if I were to if I were to put it in a few words, and then I'm going to back up and maybe um, try to explain this a little bit more. But in a few words, I'd say that our journey is very simply put: the journey of the of the Christian soul is the revealing of Jesus Christ. Now, I know I say that like a broken record, but it needs to be said because there's. Like I said, there's so many wrong, wrong journeys. You, you could say it this way: the the journey is the revealing and and thereby working in your soul of the cross of Jesus Christ. You could say it this way: it's the it's the soul's spirit-given discovery of the finished work of the cross, and and all that that all that that implies and that implies so so much um what's where's it going where's the journey even leading you to well the the journey the goal god is bringing you to we talked about some of this stuff i know i i, I think I, I i all the classes kind of blend together for me but i think that we talked about that the the goal is god is is He's leading these people physically in the, you know, from, from point A to point B and whatever in, in this story. And the, um, you know, to, to paint this picture of a journey. But the, the real journey isn't really going somewhere as much as it is because you kind of start at the end. In other words, you kind of, you start receiving salvation. You start being born of the Spirit. You, you start entering into the kingdom of God. The journey though is for, for, or the, the goal of God is that the people whom God has redeemed become, become filled with the knowledge of, the glory of, and conform to this incredible reality that they've been given. Another way to say that is the 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 goal of God is that we become um, the a kingdom uh, for His increase and in glory and government. And um, and so what <clears throat> what you see here um, in this 
story of the Exodus is that God accomplished something in in the Lamb. He did something. He created something. He put to death. Some, he ended something. He put to death something. He he started something anew. He finished with one man and started anew with a with a with a brand new man whom he calls Israel my son. Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Exodus four twenty two. And he brings this corporate son out of um this land that is slavery to sin and death and and they don't know anything about what God has caused them to be. And so the journey begins, but the journey is not the, um, uh, it's, it's not the acquiring of some, it's not getting more from God, something you don't have. It is God teaching you, revealing in you, making real in you, and making your soul aligned with, congruent with, obedient unto, obedient not in not in primarily an external way although that follows but obedient in an internal way the the life the relationship the the, the son uh, that that he has given you and that is um that's that's what's going on Everything that God began, God brought a son out of Egypt, and they have no idea what that means. They don't know who they are. They don't know who he is. And, and God understands that at the beginning. I mean, he understands, I think he understands it always, but he, he, he doesn't expect more than that at the beginning. And he begins right away to deal with them according to this finished reality, and he begins to try to, to try to teach it to them. And, and, and you know, I don't know, the, 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 I hate to sound like critical or uh, I feel like I often do and I don't, and it's not very ever my plan. It's, it's just kind of like, I don't know the way it comes out when you look at the way things are. But, um, in, in the, in the church today, I feel like man creates his own idea of the goal. And then we spend our lives trying to grow up as Christians, if that even comes to mind. But it, it often does. And if it does, it usually has to do with either us working hard towards those goals through um, discipline uh, or through memorizing scripture or through joining ministries or whatever. It's either us working hard at that goal or us trying to convince God to give us something what we don't have that, that we don't have. And both of those are totally wrong. Both of those are far from what God is um is is doing trying to do in us. What is God trying to do again? God is trying to every picture starting right here in uh, Exodus 13 and 14. It's not about God doing something different. It's about them standing still and seeing the salvation of the Lord. It's not about asking God to do something further. It's about them beholding and walking into the reality of what God has given them by faith, which is to say by his mind and his light working in them. So 
even right here, I'm skipping ahead, but if you, if you get to, uh, chapter 14, you're gonna see that all of a sudden the people start freaking out and Moses starts praying to God and, 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 um, you know, because the Egyptians are coming up on their heels and, and God says, why are you praying? Lift up your hand and walk through the sea. You know, and, and stand still, Moses says, and to the people, and see the salvation of the Lord. God, there's nothing, there's nothing really further beyond this death that they've entered into and this resurrection that they've come out of in the next morning. There's nothing further than this lamb that was crucified, buried, and raised that they partook in that they need to really have. They just need to see and experience and by faith know and walk in everything that that, that means. And, and it's gonna, it starts out to them meaning that they can walk right through, right out of death. And the ones who had not died in the Lamb, the the enemies of their soul, the enemies of their salvation, cannot pass out with them. In fact, trying to follow them out becomes their destruction. So, what I'm trying to, to highlight, as I often do, is the fact that the greatness of the gift is given to the human heart immediately. And yet there is a journey involved. And there's lots of pictures of this journey, but we don't understand the journey. You you don't add to the gift or, or that God... The journey isn't about you getting more or about you accomplishing something. The journey is, I like the way Paul says in 1 first, first Corinthians 13, coming to know even as you are known. That's the journey. And it's a process. And, and therefore, it's represented as, in this story, as a physical journey. In the story of Abraham, we looked at earlier, uh, in, in one verse, it said Abraham left Ur of Chaldea and, and, and entered into the land of Canaan. And then, and then for several chapters after that, Abraham's journey wasn't getting to, to the promised land. It was seeing it, lifting up his eyes, beholding it, separating from Lot, building an altar, staying there, not going to Egypt twice. I mean, all these different, it was about Abraham discovering, walking in, living in, lifting up his eyes, seeing, knowing the place that God had brought him into. And he gets there in half of one verse. It's it's like Exodus, or it's um, Genesis twelve seven, I think. It says, it just says this, and Abraham left Ur of Chaldea and Abraham entered into the promise or into into Canaan. That's all that it was in terms of the the physical journey. God picked him up out of one place. It's like uh, Colossians chapter one thirteen. God transferred you out of the the domain of darkness and made you to dwell in the son of His love. Well, then what's the, I thought it took a long time to get there. No, no, it was just a. It's an act of God. By Christ, by God, you are in Christ Jesus. He, when you were dead in your trespasses and sin, He raised you up and 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 seated you with Christ in the heavenlies. You know, you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That, that's it. Period. You, that, that's the that's the physical journey, so to speak. That's the actual movement of your soul from one place to another, from having nothing to having everything. That's the that's the actual work of the of the whole thing. So, well, then, what's growing up? What's the lack? What's the problem? Well, that's what I'm trying to tell you. The lack is that you and I have no idea what these words mean or what has happened to 
our soul. We don't know what we've come out of. We don't know what we've entered into. We we have no idea. We don't know what the kingdom of darkness was. We just called it our life. We don't know what the darkness and slavery to sin that we came out of because that's just what we always did. We're just like the Jews. We've never been slaves to anyone. We don't we don't know we don't know what we've come out of. We don't know what we've come into. We don't understand that our soul has literally, though our body remains on earth, our soul has a completely new dwelling place, a completely new king, and a completely new light by which to see all things. We don't know that. We've never seen by that light before, except maybe a spark when we were first born again. We saw something was real about Christ, and we said we want him. We saw in that spark of light, we saw that we were the problem and he was the solution. And that's not, though, that's true, but that's not the end. That's not the fullness of, of, of what God is trying to show your heart. That's just the first spark. So what what Christians often do is we, we, we remain a Christian because of the memory of that spark rather than allow the Lord to make that spark into a, a burning torch that shows us all things in his light and, and it reveals to us both where we are and where we were, what he's done, what he's left behind, what he's brought us into. He lets us... Let, let, let's him show us the land, lift up our eyes and not keep turning back to Egypt like Abraham did and, and, and shows us the altar that he, he keeps bringing us back to that same altar and shows us something cut off, shows us lots separated from the land, lots separated from our heart. The fact that the two inheritance, inheritances can't dwell together. All that God, all that God showed Abraham there in Genesis. It's what he's going to do with, with Israel right now. He's going to divide First, he's going to divide them from Egypt, and then he's going to try to divide Egypt from them. And that's what I'm trying to tell you is the journey. The journey isn't getting out of darkness. It's getting darkness out of you. The the issue isn't coming out of the kingdom. It's just what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. You know what? Why, having been, having been made, having been baptized into the death of Christ and made free from sin, why are you still presenting yourselves as servants to, to that nature, to that kingdom, to that kind, to that realm? Why are you doing that? Only because you don't know, he says like three times in that chapter, you don't know what? Well, first of all, you don't know you were baptized into Christ's death. You don't know you went into that lamb and came out as a new creation. You don't, you don't know that you've been raised up and 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 you are alive to God in Christ. You don't know you don't know any of these things. And, and then the, the, a Christian argues with me might might argue with me and say, "Yeah, I do. I've known that since I was a kid. You know, I've I've had that verse stapled to my wall or something." That doesn't matter. You don't you you don't know until Everything contrary to that reality seems ludicrous to you. You don't know until that's the only thing that remains real in your heart. That's when you know. You know when you've been joined to the reality itself and your eyes have been opened in him. And you see, you look around in Christ and you see where you are. And he, and God says to your soul, lift up your eyes now and look in the place where you are, to the north, to the south, to the east and the west. Do you see the the height and the depth and the width and the, brit, the breadth of, of Christ, the unri- unsearchable riches of Christ? Is that, do you, do you, do you see now? And then you, then you begin to know. And, and I, I just, I, I I highlight this thing a lot because I feel like we're, we're all trying to, I'm not we're all, but a lot of folks are trying to be better Christians and we just don't even know what that means. 
and and sometimes we look at at these at these you know best selling books that give you these ideas and stuff and and if for hearts for hearts that are and if I if I can just be blunt with you guys I mean I think I know everyone here God, I've, at least to an extent um uh you know you you pick up one of these best selling books and, and there's something wrong with it you feel you feel you feel just as you get excited for a second because it sounds easy, and then you you do it. What's on the list of things, or you try, or you pray the certain way, or whatever, and you feel just as confused and dead and dry as you were before. Or you feel spiritually proud, like you managed to accomplish something great for God, and and that doesn't feel good either. If you're honest with yourself, and what's the problem? Well, that's not the journey. That's what the problem is. The problem is you've taken a lot of big steps in the wrong direction. And you didn't, you know, you didn't get anywhere. You're more lost now than when you started. Um, and, uh, well, so what is God trying to do <clears throat> with your heart? Well, I think that he's trying to, as, you know, I, I quoted First Corinthians 13, cause you to know even as you are known. He says in Philippians, apprehend that for which you have been apprehended. And that word there is, comp- I mean, it's comprehend in, in Greek. It's the same word that is translated comprehend. And, and it's not an, not an intellectual comprehension. It's a spirit-given knowing and awakening and seeing and beholding. But the journey is, the journey is God revealing his seed in your soul in such a way that it defines who you are, what you are, where you are, what is most real, and it begins to make you know as as you're known, feel the things that are according to his perspective and light hate the things that are contrary to the truth love the things that are righteous and real it, it, it it's it's real he's he's bringing you into a a living experience of his indwelling life and the way he's going to do that is by showing you showing you exactly what he's done what he's given you who he's given you what it all means and so right from the very beginning this is the way now jesus calls himself the way and and i think a lot of times when people think yeah jesus is the way you know he's the way the truth and the life and you say what's well, what's he the way to i think you know most most people just what comes to mind is well he's the way to get to heaven um okay well i guess that that's true uh if if you know what that means i guess but um he's a, he's a whole lot more than that he's a, he's a he's a much broad not broader in the sense of many people i mean he's a much bigger way that I mean the, the way has a lot more to it I guess is what I'm trying to say than just a a doorway to heaven when you die and someone says well he you know he's the way to to, to receive God's gift okay I would still argue that he is a much greater way than that 
what what is what does Christ mean when he says he's the way? Well, I'll tell you what. He is the way that God is showing in every single scripture in the Old Testament where God shows a way. He's the way back into the the garden. He's the he's the cherubim with the flaming sword. He's the way that that man cannot walk unless he he die. Man, he cannot. He he's the way that flesh and blood cannot um, enter in. He's he's the. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is he's the he's the cross. He's the way. He's the thing that God is showing Israel here throughout their journey out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. He's the what part of it? Well. Pick a part. He, you know, he's the, he's the opening out of the Red Sea that goes right through. He, on the other side, he's the, he's the water that sprung, well, the, the, the bitter water that turned sweet, the water that came out of the rock. He's the pillar of fire and cloud that goes before them. He's the tabernacle. He's the high priest. He's the burning furnace on top of Mount Sinai. He's the blood poured out at the base of Mount Sinai. He's the serpent on the staff. He's the, 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 the Aaron's staff that budded. He's the golden censer. He's all of it. He's the way. What does it mean to walk in his way? It, it, what does it mean to follow, to know that way? It means to know him. To, the knowing of him is your journeying along that way. He's the, he's literally, he doesn't just point to a way and show you where to go. He is that way. He's the way forward. The way of the cross. The way out of one world and into another. He's the way into the fullness of God. Into the kingdom of God. He's the, the way into the, the, the true knowledge of God. And, and so, as common as it is to say that, that Christ is the way, uh, you always have to stop and, and be really careful of cliches because they don't, I mean, if, if it's a cliche in your heart or if it's a memorized concept, then, then it really it doesn't mean anything. It, it, everything about knowing Christ is a living, present reality. I wish I had a better way to say that to you guys. Uh, I, I wish I had a, a, a stronger way to put that. God's never trying to teach you something of your, of His Son so that it can be a memory in your mind or a lesson that you've learned. He's trying to show you His Son in such a way that the thing that He shows becomes a present living reality. If it's, if it's turned into a memory, then it's, then it's turned into something dead that you're trying to hold on to in the natural mind. It, it's got to become a living present reality to you. And that's what the way is. It's not just the way you walked or the way you passed through when you asked Jesus into your heart. It's bigger than that. That's true, but it's bigger than that. In fact, Jesus isn't really even the way that you get anywhere. It's actually the way, if if you come to know that way, you'll find it, it's not just a gate that lets, lets you, I mean, I guess in a sense you could call it that, but... As you, as you begin to see that way and know that way, you find, you find it's the way for you to actually lose what you've called life. It's the way of the cross. It's the way that you leave behind the man that you thought, um, you thought God was saving. In fact, he was crucifying that man and bringing your soul into another man. 
and and learning him becomes learning a whole new life. It's not just going somewhere when you die. And and following him is following him in the cross. It's death to everything else. It becomes that, and that's a joyous thing in your heart when you when you're seeing him. It's a it's a painful, confusing, frustrating thing if you're holding on to the thing that the cross kills. But if you're seeing the one that that was raised up from among the dead, then letting go of the dead things is actually a joy to your heart. And I guess what I'm trying to get to with this story is that God was God was showing Israel the way. And that's what he was always doing. He was always doing that. And there's lots of different pictures of that. Tons of them. Uh, one of the most obvious is the one that he starts right here in the end of Exodus 13 where he, he puts the, the pillar of uh, cloud and, and the fire um, before them to show them the way. To show them the way. And, and yet, they wouldn't walk in that way. He didn't want them to guess at the way he didn't he knew they could never find the way he was going to show them the way and he was going to show it to them according to what they could what they could bear according to where they were i mean where their hearts were in the process he didn't start them out entering into a land full of enemies he started them he he actually it says here he led them away from the enemies now uh in the uh in in the very beginning because he thought that seeing those enemies right off the bat would cause them to go running back to Egypt God is 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 bringing them along in a very specific way and in fact he does that all the way up the cloud leads them camp after camp place after place never stops until when until numbers 14 when they refuse to go in to the thing that the way was bringing them to into the the full into the land that represents the full experience of their salvation the kingdom uh, of god the increase of christ the end of the enemies the end of the flesh the destruction of all all former things and former ways. The, the cloud was bringing them all the way to the banks of the Jordan and then they said, I'm not going in. And God said, but this is where the way takes you. And they said, no, no, let's appoint, let's appoint a leader for ourselves and bring, to, to bring us back to Egypt. After all that time, they said that. In fact, it's interesting if you read that in Numbers, uh, 14 or 15, I think it's in 15 probably. Um, he said, they say, um, Moses, is it not enough that you have taken us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to bring us into this desert and wilderness? They actually call Egypt. They're so blind. They look back and they call Egypt a land flowing with milk and honey. It's unbelievable, the blindness of the human heart. But what I'm saying is they, God tries to bring them in his way unto his purpose and they have a purpose of their own. They have a way of their own. They would not follow in that way. What does that mean? That means they would not leave Egypt behind. They would not learn a new life. They would not learn a new covenant. So over and over again, God deals with Israel about, and you just see this throughout Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. He 
he deals with Israel about not being willing to follow in the way, not being willing to know God's way. And over and over again, he tries to cause them to follow the cloud, to keep their eyes on the Lord, to fix their eyes on that thing that he put above them, to, to put, to put their hearts to, on, on that one thing and watch it, whether it be one day or one year that they're in one, in a particular place. The, the people are defined by the presence of God and you, and, and you fix your eyes on that, on that presence, on that cloud that dwells in the midst and it brings you towards God's purpose. You don't have to know where it's going. You just have to keep your eyes on it. You don't have to know, you don't really have to know the way because looking at Him is the way. It would lead them into the land if they just would keep their eyes on it. And they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't walk in the way. And um <clears throat> and I'm saying all that again as you as you already know, but it's not because it's a it's not a history lesson for me. It's it's the story of uh it's the story of my my life and your life to some degree or another. Uh we are like them and we we stop along the way, somewhere along the way. We stop and we grumble and we say, here's a good place to take my inheritance. I'll just, whether we say, I'll go back, or whether we say, this is far enough, or whether we say, I'm not willing to lose this or lose that. Um, I'm going to take my inheritance on this side of the Jordan. We won't go on because, as, and this is kind of leading into the next chapter here, but, we we won't go on usually with the Lord. We won't follow Him in, his, in that way because that way means what what we consider to be losing our losing life. It means death to us. Now that is the big cry of the Israelites from the moment they leave Egypt um, to the moment they spy out the land. It's always the same thing. And I want you to pay just really close attention to that because it's the same thing in us too. What's the cry? Well, you could say it this way. It's the fear of death. It's the fear of death. It's the fear, or better, maybe better, more, more clear, it would be to say it's the fear of losing what they call life. Now, in the very... Beginning, let's see here. I wrote down part of this chapter in my notes, Exodus 14. Uh, I'm gonna go back to one little thing in Exodus 13 before I close today if I have time, but I just, I'll just, I'll just, let me just read a little bit of this here. Okay, Exodus 14.10. When Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians... Then that we would should die in the wilderness, and then Moses says, "Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord." But what I want you to notice here about that is that, as you already know, this isn't the first time they say, "Moses or God, you're leading us into death." Was it because there wasn't enough graves in Egypt? I mean, they in this mocking kind of sarcastic, "You're killing us," you know. 
what's what's the issue here? I think you could I think you can call it, I think the I think scripture calls it in Hebrews chapter 2 the fear of death. Now let me read that verse here. Hebrews 2, I think it's Hebrews 2:15. Let me pull it up here. All right, so it says it was, let's see here. I'll start in 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy. Now, this is the, this is, this, what it's saying here is totally what's being pictured in Exodus. Through death, through the death of the Lamb, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is Pharaoh. That is the devil, right? Hebrews 2.15. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now there's a big difference in me. I, I remember at one time I started to I started to realize that 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 this is the fear of death is not the same thing as the fear of dying. In fact, you can actually look forward to dying, but still have the fear of death. Because I know that sounds weird, but the fear of of dying is the fear of losing the things that you consider life to be. The fear of natural death is just the fear that your body's going to, you know, it's just the fear that your body's going to die. Some people, uh, some people don't fear natural death very simply, simply because they think that they're going to have even more of what they call life after they die. And they don't have the fear of death, but they're still governed by the fear of dying. Do you see, do you see the difference? The fear of dying is the fear of losing the things that, that you think life, that, that comprise what you call life. So, I, I remember this one time I was in the hospital with this guy, and he was, he ended up having a, a bypass and, or quadruple bypass or something, and he is, far as I know he's, he's still fine but he was he was actually saying that he didn't want the surgery he just wanted to die he just and I and I I didn't think the guy really knew the Lord too well I don't know I could have been wrong but he was talking I mean I'm pretty sure I wasn't wrong based on how he was talking about it he didn't seem to have any fear at all of uh, of dying but the reason he didn't have any fear of dying was what he went on to describe to me his his con- concept of what heaven was and what he thought it was basically dying was a way for him to have even more of the things that he thought life was all about it's it's like the natural life times 10 and 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 it's like his life his natural life made even better but i'll bet you that if you would have if i would have and i didn't obviously he was I don't know. Maybe I should have. I, I don't. Know. I never know how to do those, those kind of things. The guy was about to have a surgery, but um, <clears throat> if if he would have had some of his ideas about what both true life and the afterlife, if those ideas would have been threatened, I bet that would have been a very uncomfortable feeling for him. If he would have had come across the the, the idea or the fear of losing um, what he considered life to be. I think he would have found himself to be a slave to the fear of death. And this is constantly the issue. The cross offers you life, but it offers you true life at the expense, at the expense of what we have called life, what we've known 
excuse me, what we've known to be life. And right from the very beginning, Moses or uh, the, the the children of Israel began to cry out. They began to see God's salvation as a threat to their own life. And over and over again, they say, it would be better to live with the inconveniences and the limitations and slavery of the flesh than to give myself, to lose myself, to lose my life to God. That's the issue all the way up to when they, 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 they spy out the land and all 12 of the spies say it is a good and awesome land flowing with milk and honey. And yet, ten of them say, it's a great land, but we can't live there. That it, it will be death unto us. It's a threat to my life. There, there's giants in the land. There's fortified cities. They'll kill us. God is bringing us in to kill us. And in a sense, what they're saying, there's truth in what they're saying. I mean, from a spiritual point of view, you can't really live there in what you've called life to be. There is life there. There are cities there, but they're not the ones you built. There's harvest there, but it's not the one you planted. There's wells there, but they're the ones that God already dug for you. It's not what you bring into there. It's a whole new life. It's a whole new land. And everything that God is offering you in His Son doesn't add on to what you call life. It replaces it. It doesn't give you more of what you've called life. It cuts it off and gives you something totally foreign. And so they enter into this relationship here in Exodus, Exodus 14. They begin, they begin their, their journey in the way and they have this, this expectation as, as, as all Christians do in the beginning and, and too many Christians stick with throughout their entire lives, they have this expectation that the reason that God brought them out of Egypt is to bless, protect, secure what they understand their life to be. And every time they try to put those kind of expectations on God in the wilderness, someone dies. I mean, someone, God is very quick to demonstrate that those, that idea, that God exists to preserve their ideas and their natural possessions and their personal opinions and their ideas about worship and who they think they are and why is Aaron the only one that gets to use this golden censer on this day and, and whatever else they try to add to, to, either to their worship of God or to God's relationship with them, God says, step back, Moses. I'm going to swallow them alive, or something like that. Why is that? Well, because God doesn't offer you an addition to what you already have. He offers you new life. And as Jesus said over and over again, to gain that life, you have to lose your life. If you try to save what you have, what you call life, then you'll find that to be death. If you're willing to lose what you call life, you'll find true life. You'll find real life. But if you go into this relationship thinking that knowing Christ is going to preserve what you've thought life was and you think is true about God or about Christianity, if you think that he exists to to feed your 
appetites, to fill your mouth with quail, to, to give you an inheritance outside of his land, to protect your best natural in, in, uh, interests, to bless the thing that he's actually trying to crucify to your soul, then you're not going to get very far. And I think, I think that's the number one hindrance to moving on with the Lord in the body of Christ today. It's that knowing Christ is a threat to what we call life. Knowing the true knowledge of Christ is a threat to what we have called life. And, and the main, the main question that God is dealing with them every step of the way, what's God doing? He's revealing something of Christ. And He's asking them to trade in their imaginations for it. You know, they, they come out thinking that God's a golden calf and they start worshiping Him in that way and God doesn't, doesn't swallow them up that time, begins to show them even a greater picture of who he was in the tabernacle and the priesthood. Are they willing to give up their imaginations? Are they willing to, to fall on their face and let him be true and them be, them all be liars? And are you, are you willing to lose your life and, and, uh, and gain true life? And the temptation for us today is, uh, is to say with Peter, of course I will. You know, I'm willing to die with you this very night. But don't fool yourself. It's not like that. It's not, this journey isn't something you can decide in a moment. It's, you, you can't answer the, you know, God is constantly presenting to your soul this question. Will you lose what you've called life? Will you let me remove it from your heart, remove it from your view, show you another life in another light? Will you let me do that? And Christians are all quick to say, of course I will, God. But you don't answer that question with your mouth. You answer that you answer that question with your life. You answer that question every single day, every minute, by looking unto Him, turning away from yourself, letting the cross cut off from your heart everything that does not live by His life. And you can love theology, and you can love the Bible, and you can still resist the way of the Lord. It's not about whether you love the Bible, because... You can use the Bible in your own imagination to, to, uh, to, you know, in your own mind to protect and bless and, and, and for the benefit of what you call your life. The Christians have been doing that forever. And before Christians did it, the Jews did it. You can take the scripture and find something in it other than what God offers you. In fact, the most common thing, the most, the biggest error, I believe, that we do in the darkness is we take the words, the promises of, of God, and we, we apply them to the wrong man. We, ta- we take all of the promises that are yes and amen only in Christ, and we make them yes and amen in Adam. We take the, all of the, the blessings and the victory and the, and, and the healing and the increase and the whatever, all these things that are promised to us in pictures, but in the old covenant as spiritual realities that are realities for our soul in Christ, we take those words and we apply them to the man that's actually cursed, the man that has to die, the man that cannot live in the presence of God. We try to apply them to that man instead of losing that man and finding all of those things to be 
Yes and amen in Christ. Spiritual blessings in Christ in the heavens. We don't want to lose that life. We want it protected. We want a God who will actually benefit, bless, and protect that life. And that's just not the way it works. I guess what I'm so so and and I'm running out of time here, I guess, but what I'm trying to say in all this, and I guess this is probably as far as we'll get, I may mention just one real quick thing, um, just to finish up with um Exodus thirteen, but is that God is always trying to bring you along in his way. <clears throat> and the only thing you have to do to stay in that way is to keep your eye on his cloud. To keep your eye fixed on the presence that he puts in the midst of you. And if you'll only keep your heart, keep the eye of faith fixed on his presence in the midst of you, then you will naturally leave behind what needs to be left behind and find yourself coming into what God has brought you into, in, into the full experience and increase of it. That it's, it's really single and simple. But if you try to keep your life... If you keep your eye on yourself, you're going to find that cloud of God to be your enemy. You're going to find it leaving you behind. You're going to find it leaving when you don't want to leave. You're going to find it cutting off things that you call life. Swallowing up things that you swore were good for God. It's going to swallow up your religion just like it did the sons of Korah. It's going to swallow up your, it's going to grind to powder all your ideas about God like it did to the golden calf. It's going to crush all of your imaginations like it did to the, the two sons of Aaron that had an idea about how to offer a fire unto the Lord. It's going to kill everything. It's going to kill your own life. It's going to show you to be the, the burnt, the, the, the death of the flesh and the burnt offering, the thing dragged outside of the camp and the sin offering. It's going to show you to be what can't survive that fire and it's going to open your eyes in a new land that is Christ in every way but it's not going to let you live what you call life not what you've known life to be it's not going to do that all right let me just point this thing out real quick because I just I just put it here and I just wanted to mention it I, I mentioned before when when Joseph went into Egypt he was like this he was like the first of he from from that from that particular view of uh, of or that particular story of types and shadows Joseph was this Christ figure that goes into Egypt and 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 dies in Egypt and then when he comes out remember he they carry the they carry the bones out of Egypt and so he goes in we talked about this already so I'm not going to cover exactly what I mean by all this you have to go back and listen to it but um somewhere in the beginning of the Exodus series he goes he goes in as a dying seed, he comes out as this ginormous corporate people with that seed in the midst. And just wanted to point out here in, um, in Exodus thirteen nineteen, um, 
It says, And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God, Joseph, that is, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. And so this is just the verse. I, I mentioned we'd get to it, uh, so I wanted to just point it out. This is the verse where it talks about him taking the bones out. So if you can kind of back up a little bit to the beginning uh, of, of uh, well, even back into Genesis, and kind of... God's kind of wrapping up this this particular picture of dealing with Joseph right here. And the thing he's pointing out is that one seed went into that land and died and came out this enormous multitude. Just like just like God promised to Abraham in um, Exodus chapter 15. Know for certain that your seed will go into that land, will be in slavery for 400 years, will come out as a mighty people. So, <clears throat> okay, 